a skill which has always been, been important but is becoming even more important post-COVID for CXOs is the clarity of decision-making. It's important to clearly communicate what the decisions are, who made them, what are the consequences, and where it's reported. Welcome to the Agile Digital Transformation Podcast, where we explore different aspects of digital transformation and digital experience with your host, Tim Butera, Content and Community Manager at Agile Drop. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Evgeny Shachno, executive coach and founder of Europe's first developer bootcamp, Makers. After stepping down as the CEO of Makers, Evgeny started focusing on executive coaching, and he's been helping entrepreneurs and CXO roles grow and transform in the digital age. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how COVID and the rise of digital transformation have impacted executive coaching, both from the point of view of CXOs and coaches. Welcome, Evgeny. It's great to have you on the show today. Can you start off by telling us a bit more about yourself? So when and how did you decide to focus on executive coaching and in particular helping startup CEOs? Uh, Tim, thank you for having me. I started Makers, the coding bootcamp that you mentioned uh, in uh, 2013. And uh, over most of the last uh, eight years, I led it as a founder and uh, CEO before stepping down last year. Uh, During my time as a founder and the CEO, I worked with uh, several executive coaches. I benefited tremendously from their support and guidance. I learned a lot in the process. So when I decided to step down as a CEO and choose the next step of my career, executive coaching was one of the most natural transitions. So I stepped down last year, retrained as an executive coach, and I've been helping other founders and CEOs since. So this is a pretty new endeavor, actually, and and a really unique timing, if I can put it like that. You know, obviously, you started out almost at exactly the same time as as the COVID pandemic hit. But that's a question for a little bit later. Can you first tell us about the top trends that you were seeing in executive coaching before pandemic, so before 2020? So before COVID hit, uh, coaching was becoming more and more popular topic in the entrepreneurial community that I'm a part of. I noticed that uh, more founders are finding coaching helpful, more and more are interested in uh, trying coaching. And uh, this just became a more prominent uh, topic. But I also noticed that uh, among those who were going to work with a coach or the coaches that were, that were guiding other, uh, other founders, there was a noticeable shift away from just focusing on performance which is how coaching is sometimes seen and maybe used to be seen in the past, towards a deeper focus on self-inquiry and self-awareness. Of course, the two topics are closely related, but I think coaching has been evolving from just focusing on moving numbers up and to the right, increasing the performance in in the most obvious and objective terms, away from that and towards understanding of who you really are as a founder and the CEO, how your background and uh, your upbringing influences how you show up in work, in the boardroom, and what does it mean for the uh, teams that you lead. And this development also led to another shift, which I noticed in the last uh, few years. More and more people in the uh, entrepreneurial community and uh, in the coaching community as well are comfortable bringing in spirituality into uh, coaching. It may sound like these two topics have nothing to do with each other. And maybe 
maybe 20 years ago, it would be unnatural. But today I noticed more and more founders reading books like The Power of Now and A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle and others, trying to trying to figure out uh, what meditation can teach them mm-hmm. that can be applicable in the boardroom. And, uh, the, and this topic, which I loosely named as spirituality, which is, of course, huge, is drifting closer and be- to coaching and is becoming more accepted in the entrepreneurial community and in the coaching community. That's a really great observation and and very good point. I've actually been noticing a lot of of coaching and leadership related content that's veering a lot into uh, the type of content that you mentioned that you dubbed spirituality. And it makes sense, actually, you know, because work is becoming an inseparable part of our lives, especially now with COVID and, and with the lines between work and free time blurred. And you know, it, it, it only makes sense. It makes perfect sense that that's something that's basically so intrinsic to the human experience as spirituality would start to be more and more connected to, to the time we spend at work also. And of course, there are obvious pitfalls because uh, when coaches pretend that they are spiritual teachers and uh, start teaching fundamental truths of existence, the process can easily go awry. Let's put it this way. But uh, as long as uh, coaches uh, understand where the line is between actual coaching and uh, therapy, spirituality, uh, um, uh, counseling, and so on, everything is uh, everything is okay. Yeah, that's an important caveat right there. Yeah. So now let's move on to to the next period. So the time after COVID hit, uh, how did things shift when COVID hit and the lockdowns hit and the mass digital transformation started? I think uh, by now the main lesson will not be surprising to anyone. Um, everyone thought that it would be a huge change, and it was. But also uh, by now it's fair to say that uh, lots of people, coaches among them, adapted to working remotely and learned that it's possible to do uh, high quality work uh, remotely. Uh, I must, uh, I must admit that. About uh, seven years ago, uh, I chose not to work with a coach because he he was he's an incredible coach, probably the best I've uh, ever met. But he was only available to work remotely, and in my naivete, I thought, uh, well, if if my company is paying uh, lots of money for coaching, uh, I really want to see someone face to face because uh, doing it on uh, Skype uh, or whatever was available seven years ago would not be the same experience. And now I know, again, from experience as a client and as a coach, that this is this is simply uh, not true. It's absolutely possible to do high-quality work remotely, and this applies not just to coaching, but to so many other professions. And uh, coaching is just uh, among them. So one of the big changes where you've been seeing and, and other others in the field have been seeing is the move to more remote and virtual coaching, if I understand it correctly? Yes, more and more coaches are realizing that it's possible to work uh, remotely, which also which also shifts how they are working. Because if you're working face-to-face with a client and you are meeting a client, um, let's say, at their office, you can see maybe two, maybe three people a day in, in London. Whereas if you're working remotely, you can be uh, far more creative with uh, your schedule. And this and this works uh, both ways. A lot of clients discover that once uh, 
once everything ships online, they can use their uh, schedule much more, uh, much more efficiently. And on a side note, I also suspect that this down the line will have a uh, positive impact on uh, pricing, at least positive from uh, their client's point of view. Because as uh, uh, remote work is uh, making scheduling more efficient, the coaching services uh, on average across the industry might well become less expensive purely as the result of uh, this shift. Yeah, that's another good point, right? That, that's another trend that we've been seeing in, in a, lot of, a lot of areas that are now moving online, which previously involved uh, a lot of costs or, or high fees, which can now be partly done away with or reduced because of, because of this move to online, because of the efficiency, because of the flexibility and everything being at your disposal. Basically, you know, you can have a coaching session while you're having a coffee in a bar or, or okay, maybe not while you're cooking lunch, but, but <laughs> you, you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, it's definitely, it's definitely possible to be, uh, to be more uh, flexible. And as a result, uh, some coaches, including myself, chose to work only remotely. Uh, for example, by moving away from London to live in a, uh, in a quieter and senior place while still, uh, while still working with the clients who are mostly based in, uh, in London. So what has your experience been like now with remote coaching? Are, are there any stuff that re, are there any things that really stood out to you, any major challenges or obstacles or something like that? Um, one of the one of the obvious challenges is of course that you don't see the entire body of the person. So a lot of coaching relies on uh, being connected to the other person by uh, seeing and feeling connected to uh, to their bodies, understanding the body language. And truth be told, the screen is 13 or 15 or 20, even 27 inches is not the same as being face-to-face -face with someone else. Uh, also, when working with the clients face-to-face, -face, it's easier to use the entire space by moving around the room or going for a walk together, uh, for example, or trying some creative techniques. So when, for example, we can play together using some objects on the table. So all of this takes different forms uh, if we're working remotely but different doesn't mean worse or inferior in any way uh, i see it as an evolution as the next step forward and just like online shopping is not inferior to uh, the retail shopping uh, on a high street it's just different uh, coaching is uh, is evolving in uh, in the same way and some things which maybe were difficult face to face uh, are becoming much uh, much easier online so it's a it's a change, it's an evolution. I don't see it in terms of good or or bad. It's just a shift. Yeah, yeah, very well said. But okay, this was this was a pretty obvious trend, right? Because the the move to remote work and and to virtual or video communication has been pretty much a worldwide trend. But were there any uh, any digital trends that were less obvious or maybe more specific to the coaching industry that that COVID has introduced? Um, I think one other thing, uh, which is specific to the coaching industry, which most clients will never know about, is that uh, all coaching training also inevitably shifted online. Whereas uh, just a few years ago, I think it would be difficult to imagine that people would train and qualify as a coach without another coach observing them and giving feedback them, uh, to them uh, face to face. And it turned out that it also works pretty well. Coaching schools adapted, shifted to Zoom, tried, learned, uh, tried and learned uh, new techniques, and uh, the entire industry is moving forward without too many, uh, too many challenges.
but companies are affected far more than uh, than coaches. Mostly because well, coaches uh, often work as uh, individual practitioners, whereas uh, uh, companies are teams of uh, uh, teams of professionals. And when you move the entire team from working on site to working completely remotely, as we've done at Makers and just like almost every company uh, was forced to do, a lot of things, uh, a lot of things uh, need to evolve. Starting with uh, clarity of communication and uh, and many other things. Oh yeah, there are a lot more moving parts. So so a lot more has to be done on the organizational side to kind of keep everything afloat and working as it was before. Yeah. Okay, so taking into account all that we've talked about so far, are there any new skills that CXOs should have uh, if they want to thrive in a post-COVID era as opposed to pre-COVID? Yes, I think so. There will be some new skills and uh, there will be a change in uh, some of the existing skills. So I think the the CXOs in the post-COVID world will need to be far more deliberate and clear when it comes to their uh, communication. In the office, a lot of communication happens implicitly or unintentionally or in small conversations. In uh, in my time as a CEO, I could l- literally do something like raising my hand in the middle of the office and say, uh, hello, everyone, can I please have 20 seconds of your attention? And you can do it when, the, when you are physically in the same space. Uh, when you are working remotely, uh, communication needs to be far more careful and deliberate purely because it's easy to, uh, it's easy to uh, miss things especially if the main communication platform is something like Slack, which is just an ongoing stream of uh, uh, information. Another skill uh, that uh, CXOs uh, will certainly need post-COVID is learning how to empathize with their teams in a more deliberate way. Again, we are so used to building human connections face-to-face. And when we are in the office, it's all those small things like saying hello and uh, having a quick chat uh, near the water cooler or maybe going for a coffee without any agenda or just having a conversation about um, what was the weather at, uh, last weekend. All those things matter to tune into the emotional state of each other and get a feel of how the entire team is working. All of this needs to be done deliberately if uh, people are working remote. This is uh, particularly important, which... Uh, is a segue to uh, my third point when it comes to supporting juniors. People who have been around for 10 or 20 years to build their skills, networks, and careers working pre-COVID, they have a far easier time uh, transitioning to a a remote first or hybrid world, or remote only or hybrid world, um, than uh, people who are just entering the industry. If you've never worked in a company and your uh, first experience is... uh, opening the laptop after university and seeing Slack, Notion, Jira, Asana, and that 20 other systems, it will be an overwhelming and confusing experience. So companies need to support juniors far more than they did in the past. Because in the past, you could hire a junior, say, hey, sit between those two uh, experienced, uh, let's say, engineers and uh, just observe observe them working, ask them questions and and learn how the company works. It genuinely works for most of the company for most of the time before COVID. Today, onboarding juniors uh, should be a far more uh, deliberate task. Otherwise, they will just uh, not be onboarded well. A couple of other things I uh, wanted to mention is that um, uh, a skill which has always been, been important but is becoming even more important post-COVID for CXOs 
is the clarity of decision making. It's important to clearly communicate what the decisions are, who made them, what are the consequences, and where it's recorded. In the offline world, it's always been important, but you could get this information by informally talking to each other in the office. If everything happened online, no one really knows about the decision there that was taken, unless there is a written record somewhere in the form of a document which says, this was the decision, this is what happened, this is who made it, and these are the consequences. And people leading the company should really lead by example and make sure that their work and the work of CXOs is, well, mostly making decisions. They need to make sure that all of this is uh, clearly documented and uh, communicated, which also makes me uh, think of yet another skill, written communication, which, again, has always been important. But if before COVID, some people relied more on the strength of their charisma and uh, their uh, spoken communication skills, post-COVID, written communication skills are becoming just a little bit, a little bit more uh, important. And finally, because uh, Tim, I need to stop somewhere with this list, so I'll mention one uh, last thing here. Finally, uh, I think it's it will be uh, quite important for CXO to learn to empathize with their teams when it comes to work-life balance. Before COVID, we spent most of our time, at least Monday to Friday, uh, in the office, and our focus was on the office-based work. Whereas right now, if we're working remotely, it's a combination of Childcare, Amazon deliveries, uh, going for a run at lunchtime, <laughs> and and all those things which were never part of the picture before COVID. And today, it still means that people are working full time, people are working remotely. But how exactly it's done becomes different. So if let's say you're a CXO and uh, you don't have children, your experience working remotely will be quite different from uh, the experience of someone who's got two five-year-olds at home. So extra effort to build some empathy with your teams and understand everyone's different situation. Someone can be living in a house alone and someone can be living uh, in a flat chair with uh, two other people on a completely different schedule. All these details will matter in order to really understand how your team works, what drives them, and ultimately how to build a successful company. So it's it's really a lot of focus on on people skills or a lot of people-centered skills and most of them involve some kind of communication, right? Even, even the, the, the one that's, that's least like the other ones. So uh, decision-making, you mentioned that the most important part that's changed about decision-making is how you communicate how decisions are made to, to the whole team, basically. Okay, yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, do you think these trends that we've discussed so far, so both both the technology uh, transformations or, or the changes in trends and the redefined skills for CXO roles, uh, do you think these trends will continue to be dominant or will there be any new ones that will have an even greater impact on the industry? What are your predictions? I can't really tell the future, but I do expect that, uh, these trends, what we've been discussing so far, to stay. Uh, flexibility of work is here to stay. Once uh, once we learn as an, as an industry, society, as a world, that it's possible to do uh, high-quality work remotely in a hybrid or remote-only fashion, it's impossible to go back and pretend that we can only be productive if we are uh, sitting in front of our computer on the 33rd floor in the city of London. <laughs> so uh, 
I expect this flexibility and the hybrid way of working uh, to stay. One particular thing which uh, I think business leaders need to pay attention to is to start thinking carefully about the return on investment of their uh, real estate. In the past, the cost of the office was all always or often taken for granted because, well, every company has an office, it's an inevitable cost. It, of course, it needs to be a reasonable, but it was taken um, as a given. Whereas today, companies that figure out how to do what you are doing, but without having the uh, direct and indirect costs of uh, uh, having their own real estate, uh, will have uh, just an extra percentage points on, uh, on their profit margin. And in particular, I will not be surprised to see uh, private equity firms engaging in a new uh, kind of activity, buying firms which are okay, but they are operating in a hybrid or office-first way, then uh, spending a couple of years uh, shifting them completely to a remote-first world and gaining an extra few percentage points and therefore valuation valuation uh, increase as a result of the shift to a remote-only uh, world, and then reselling the company. We haven't. I don't think we've seen it uh, before, but uh, I fully expect the private equity world to see real estate cost as something to be uh, optimized away. So my message to CXOs and business leaders to really be clear, what is the return on investment of your, uh, of your uh, office cost? Do you have any other top tips for, for executives or, and business leaders uh, that are having trouble maybe with keeping up with all of this and, and implementing the lessons that they learn through coaching or, or maybe they don't even know how to get the right coaching? Yes, although I will not say anything new that I wouldn't have said uh, one, two or three years ago. Maybe the most important one is take time to reflect, especially if you feel overwhelmed. There is an old joke, which is on the half joke, that if you don't have time to meditate for an hour, you need to meditate for two hours. <laughs> if you feel overwhelmed, it's a, uh, it's a sign that you need to slow down because the chances are you're not as efficient as uh, uh, you think you are or as you need to be. So taking time to reflect, whatever this means, whether it's meditation, journaling, just quiet time in nature is uh, really, really uh, helpful and scheduling it is a really good idea because it will not happen by itself unless you've got a strong established uh, habit. And another another tip which I've already mentioned, but I'll just reiterate because it's so important, is stay in close contact with uh, your people. In the office face-to-face, -face, it's easier to speak or at least see most people in the office uh, in any given, on any given day or week. Whereas remotely, unless you make an explicit effort to reach out and uh, build or maintain a connection to someone you will not have any opportunity to uh, interact with them unless unless you uh, you choose to so these are probably uh, my my two top tips that uh, that i would give to uh, to cxos uh, going forward and they make a lot of sense right it's basically just two sides of the same coin so one we have stay in close connection with yourself and two stay in close connection with your team Yep, that's uh, that's more or less it. It's all about having the skills to really understand what's going on both inside yourself and outside yourself that is in your company, in uh, uh, in your team. Awesome. That That's a great note to finish on. Thank you so much, Evgeny, for being our guest today. It was a real pleasure and it's been a fascinating conversation. I, I really enjoyed this um, maybe 
more unique take, more, more people-focused take on the topics that we have on our podcast. So yeah, thank you for being our guest again. Well, thank you, Tim. Just before we finish, if our listeners want to reach out to you or learn more about you or maybe even get uh, coaching info or coaching help, uh, where can they reach out to you? They can uh, learn more about me on my website, which is evgeny.coach. Evgeny is E-V-G-E-N-Y.coach. So basically, my first name, .coach. Awesome. I'll, I'll link that in the show notes. And yeah, thanks again, Evgeny. And to our listeners. That's all for this episode. Have a great day, everyone, and stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to check out our other episodes, you can find all of them at agiledrop.com slash podcast, as well as on all the most popular podcasting platforms. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes, and don't forget to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues.